Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. Uh, if you do have a comment, send it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and uh, become one of our friends on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. Usually at the start of these programs, I'll either mention a sponsor or uh, the option to support the program. But today I want to dedicate this episode to a uh, Jim French uh, production. Uh, for those who've been listening for a long time, Jim French has been uh, making uh, radio dramas post-Golden Age uh, coming out of Seattle for about a quarter of a century. He'd also done uh, some work going back to the 1970s. The most famous creation was The Adventures of Harry Nile, a series that's logged nearly 300 episodes. Well, Jim French Productions will be closing its doors. The final production of its syndicated Imagination Theater will be at the end of this uh, month on February the 26th. JimFrenchProductions.com will be closing down middle of March in terms of taking additional orders. Uh, I just want to express appreciation for all the great years and great radio that he's brought. Harry Nile, I think, is a classic, and it does a very good job capturing so much of the feel of the golden age of radio and taking a, a detective into a new and different city. So all the best to Mr. French and his family, and thanks so much for all the memories. Now it's time for today's episode of Night Beat, the original air date, May the 22nd, 1950, and the title of this episode is, I Wish You Were Dead. Wheaties presents Night Beat. On stage tonight from Hollywood, Night Beat, another in the Wheaties' big parade of exciting half-hour presentations. Hi, this is Randy Stone. I cover the night beat for the Chicago Star. Stories begin in many different ways. This one began with a strange little man who claimed a most remarkable power. The power to kill with his mind. Nightbeat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. Suppose you were a kernel of wheat instead of people listening to the radio. Why, you'd have about as much chance of getting to be a Wheaties flake as you have right now to be president. Actually, less than 2% of all the kernels of wheat that hope to be Wheaties when they grow up ever set flake in a Wheaties box. That's how fussy the Wheaties folks are. Whole wheat for Wheaties has to be golden, perfect whole wheat. And when you buy Wheaties, that's what you get. Perfect whole wheat with all its nourishment. Of course, people, no matter who they are, can eat Wheaties, breakfast of champions, all they want, any time. That includes you. Have some. Tell your grocer we sent you. one of those lousy moods I had. Spring in the air, five o'clock in the afternoon, and nothing ahead of me except another day's work. A broken leg and a month in bed. I should be so lucky. I started to walk down Michigan Boulevard. By the time I reached the art museum, I hated the whole world. Everybody was going home, and I was going to work. 
So, like a school kid playing hooky, I turned into a patch of grass landscaping the museum. And I sat down on a bench. At the other end of the bench was a little old guy. He was thin as Melba toast, and he was staring at a pigeon perched on the fountain. I was beginning to feel persecuted, like I was the only one in the whole wide city who had to go to work. In a nice, lazy kind of way, I was beginning to wish I was dead. I wish you were dead. At first, I didn't know where the voice came from. There was no one in back of me. There was no one around except the little guy at the other end of the bench. There. I did it again. You know, that's not a very nice thing to say to somebody you don't even know. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't think you heard me. Oh, certainly I heard you. Why would you wish a thing like that on me? Oh, but I didn't mean you. Not at all. Because if I did, you would now be dead. You mean I would be dead? It's terrible. Just terrible. Well, if it wasn't me you just said that too, then who was it? The pigeon. Pigeon? The one that was on the fountain. I see. And what happened to the pigeon? He died. The pigeon died? Oh, yes. It'll happen every time. I'll get the bird and show you. Yes, it's dead, all right. You see? Perfectly dead. Oh, now look, uh, Mr... Uh, Fettle is my name. Yeah, Stone is mine, Randy Stone, and I guess I'll be running along. Oh, I, I thought perhaps you could help me, Mr. Stone. You, you look like the kind of person who would understand. Yeah, yeah, I'm the harmless type that's always walking into a confession. Well, you see, it's, uh, it's something I can't tell to just anyone. Yeah, well, some other time. I'll be seeing you. Oh, that's the way it is. Everybody's interested in only themselves. Well, uh, get rid of that bird. It's not very pleasant sitting next to someone holding a dead thing in his hands. Oh, oh, of course. If I put it over there under the bush, would you listen to me? Maybe if I talked about it, it might help. You're not a policeman, are you? Oh, no, no, no. I'm a newspaper man. Oh, that's good. Yeah, get rid of the bird. And then you'll listen to me? Yeah, I'll listen to you. Oh, that's very good of you, Mr. Stone. I'll just put it down over here. He was a cute little old guy who didn't seem to fit into a world of aeroplanes and the Geiger counter. He was still wearing a white celluloid collar and a tarnished diamond stick pin and a black tie. He was as clean as grandmother's old lace and just as faded. His white hair bulged from an old fedora hat and his eyebrows looked like the prank of a makeup artist. They were untouched by age and they were strawberry red. I was already feeling sorry for him and I knew if I could, I was going to help him. He put the bird under the bush, and then he looked down at it and sighed. I didn't mean to do it. Sure, sure, I understand. Now, what's bothering him? You see, I killed that bird simply by looking at it and saying that I wished it were dead. Oh? Oh, I see. Mm -hmm. You wished it was dead, and it died. You heard me, didn't you? You wouldn't think a thing like that was possible, would you? Well, I don't know. I... If I remember correctly, there was this fellow, King Midas. He had a pretty good thing, too. All he had to do was touch something that turned into gold. Oh, of course, that was only a fairy tale. You're not poking fun at me, Mr. Stone. You're not implying that I made this up. Oh, now, don't get touchy. It's pretty hard to get used to. All you have to do is wish a bird is dead and it dies. Anything. A bird or even a person. And they die. Well, that's quite a power you got. You don't believe me, do you? <laughs> you ought to get a hold of yourself, don't you think? I knew I shouldn't have said anything at all. All right, all right. Now, let's say I believe you. What do you expect me to do? I'm getting afraid of myself. I can become dangerous. 
Well, don't wish those things and you won't be dangerous. But if I ever hate like I once did, then I'm not responsible. The words would just come out. It would happen. You mean you could wish I was dead or anybody and they'd die? That's what I've been trying to tell you. I don't want to hurt anybody, Mr. Stone. <laughs> you still don't believe me. Oh, I think it's a perfectly wonderful story. Now, now I gotta go. Oh, please don't go. Don't leave me, Mr. Stone, please. I'll take your hands off please. my coat. Do you mind? I want to go to work. But listen, I... I killed a man. Oh? I killed Mr. Brown. Mr. Brown? Arthur E. Brown, president of the Utilities Loan Company. Uh-huh. You, uh... You killed him. I was the one. It was the urgency and the way he wrung his hands together that got me. I felt pretty foolish sitting there on a park bench listening to the most fantastic kind of nonsense. For 40 years, he worked for this company. He never married. He lived a lonely life. The only pleasure he had was his job. But he was getting old. And then one day, it was on a Friday, he got his paycheck from the head bookkeeper. Thank you. Oh, but uh, this is a mistake, a, a terrible mistake, Miss Johnson. Uh, this check is too much. Let me see. Oh, I, I don't think so, Mr. Fettel. Oh, but, but that's three weeks' pay. Two weeks more than I've got coming. It's not my vacation, you know. I always take mine in July. Yes, I, I know, Mr. Fettel. Well, then you better rectify it, Miss Johnson. I'm sorry no one told you. On the back of the check, Mr. Fettel... That slip of paper. Oh? You mean this? Mm -hmm. Why, that's a... That's a two weeks' notice. Oh, that's a terrible mistake. I hope so, Mr. Fettel. Oh, such a stupid thing. Uh, imagine my being here so long. Why, everybody knows. I, I better see Smitty about this right Smitty's away. Smitty's been transferred to the Ohio branch. Since when? Five weeks ago, Mr. Fettel. Oh. Well, then I see the new fellow... I don't like to embarrass him, but I must bring this to his attention. I'm sorry, Mr. Fettel, but you, you don't understand. You're new here. Yes, Mr. Fettel, but there's nothing I can do. Well, I, I'll have to go to someone who can. Who is it that's over you? Well, you might try one of the vice presidents. Of course, Mr. Fettel, you, you realize I had no idea. Why don't you see the uh, uh, treasurer? I'm really quite sorry, Mr. Fettel. But really, it's out of my hands. I, I see. No one will take the responsibility. No one cares. Sending me from one to the other like I... Like I was some kind of thing being volleyed about. I'm going to the president. I'll tell Mr. Brown. Mr. Fettel went up another flight of stairs running right through a whole pool of minor executives straight into Mr. Brown's office. Brown was sitting there in an enormous leather chair, a very huge, fat man. His face was red and puffy. Instead of breathing, he seemed to gasp. He was that mad when Mr. Fettel walked in unannounced. What are you doing in my office? Mr. Brown, I just had to see you. There seems to be no one to take the responsibility for this. You see, I, I've been here so many years. They just don't seem to realize how long I've been here. I wanted you to straighten it out for me. Get out of here. But it's so unfair. Get out, I said. Get out of here. The hatred that had been piling up in Mr. Fettel had now found a target. 
He looked Brown squarely in the eyes and said it right to his face. Right out loud. I wish you were dead. You what? I wish you were dead. Oh, he, he's dead. Somebody, quick. Mr. Brown is dead. General Mills is bringing you Nightbeat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. We know a youngster who asks the kind of questions you have to put the paper down to answer. So the boy wants to know, do the baseball champions really eat Wheaties like it says in the ads? Really? Honest? Well, honest they do. Bill Rizzuto eats Wheaties. Jackie Robinson eats Wheaties. Pee Wee Reese eats Wheaties. Tommy Henrik and Luke Appling and Ellis Kinder eat Wheaties. Honest. And what's more... A lot of these stars of the game today have eaten Wheaties for years. Bob Feller, the Cleveland pitcher, is almost a 20-year man. Right today, Bob eats Wheaties four to five times a week. He likes them with berries, which is a pretty good way to have Wheaties, too. Now, Bob says, Wheaties is the only cereal I ever eat, and I'd recommend it to anyone. So, you see, we really have an excellent reason for calling Wheaties breakfast of champions. Uh, Any other questions? And now, back to Nightbeat and Randy Stone. Sure, we've all thought about the idea at some time or other in our lives. That we could look at another person and wish he were dead and bingo, it would happen. But then we all grew up and we forgot about it. But here was this little old guy, Mr. Fettel, who not only believed this phenomenon about himself, but was determined to prove it to me. That's what I get for stopping on a park bench when I should have been on my way to the paper. So you see, Mr. Stone... That's how it all started, that day in the office. Well, don't worry about it, Mr. Fettel. Coincidence. I wish you were right. But what about the flies? How bite? What about them? I'd hold them in my hand and say it. And then they'd stop buzzing and keep real still. Dead. Oh, you're taking yourself too seriously. Stop squeezing flies to death and stop telling yourself you're Superman. But what about the bird? It was perched on the fountain. I wasn't even near him. And I looked at him and I said it. And then, just like that, it fell to the ground. Dead. Mm-hmm. First it's Mr. Brown, then it's squeezing the flies, and finally the pigeon. Oh, go on home, Mr. Fettel. Go on home before I begin wishing you were dead. I knew I shouldn't have told you. Now I don't know where to turn. I, I've got the strangest feeling, a, a terrible need to test everything. Just to go around wishing things were dead. Uh, I'm sorry I took up your time, Mr. Sedona. What's that? Hey, Wait a minute, Mr. Fettel. That here. kid over there. Hey, Sarah, are you over here? I found him. Uh-huh. See that boy with the BB gun? See him? Uh, how's that? If I can prove you didn't kill that bird, will you go home and forget about the whole thing? Those boys are... They're picking up the bird. They, they shouldn't do that. Hey, kid. What? What are you doing with the BB gun? Oh, nothing. You shot that bird, didn't you? It was an accident. Honest, mister... Didn't mean nothing. Come here, now. Bring it over here. Run, Sherry, run. He's going to get it. Hey, come here. I'm not going to do anything. Come here. Well, they're gone, and they took the bird. But now you know, Mr. Fettel, it wasn't you. The kid did it with the BB gun, okay? You mean they thought they did it? I see. Okay, so you want to believe you did it. It makes you feel important, doesn't it? Important? Yeah, it gives you a feeling of power, doesn't it? Oh, no, Mr. Stoner. 
I feel like a murderer. Well, if you feel that way, why don't you turn yourself into the police? I've thought of that. But I'm not a stupid man. They'd either laugh at me or put me in an institution. And I'm not insane, Mr. Stone. Yeah, well, I, uh, I'd like to help you, but I don't know what I can do to convince you. I can't sleep. I, I haven't eaten. And I'm in no condition to look for work. Oh, look, Mr. Fettle, we're going to put a stop to this nonsense right now. It's getting late. i got to go to work. Before I go, I'm going to settle this once and for all. Oh, anything you did, I'd appreciate. All right. Now, here I am sitting right next to you, right? Yes. All right. And now I'm standing up. See, I'm healthy. Nothing wrong with me, right? Well, of course. Now look at me. I, I don't think I understand. Just keep looking at me. Well? All right, go ahead now. Wish that I was dead. Oh, but Mr. Stone, why, why should I do anything like that to you? You want to be able to go home and get a good night's sleep? You want to be able to eat and start living like a human being again? All right, go ahead. Wish I was dead. Why? I, I won't do it. I won't. Because you're a liar, aren't you? Oh, don't say that. You're a liar, Mr. Fettle. You're a liar. Keep away from me, please. I, I don't want anything to happen to you. Anything to hang on to your little fantasy. Anything to sit here in the park and keep someone talking to you. You're lonely, Mr. Fettle, and you're a little bit nutty, if you ask me. Don't make me do it, please, Mr. Stone. Don't get near me that way. Then say it. I said, say it. Despite myself, the sweat was beginning to bubble on my forehead. I could feel the back of my shirt getting wet. I could have kicked myself up and down State Street for being sucked into this old man's stupid little nightmare. But there I was, like a Madison Street mooch, insisting that the guy prove it. Not to himself anymore, but to me. Go ahead, Mr. Fettle, say it. Please don't make me, Mr. Stone. He cringed away from me now, and his back was pressing up against a tree, and I kept following him. As I got closer to him, he had no other place to run. And he stood there with a the most peculiar expression in his eyes. All right, Mr. Stone. But it's not my fault, understand? I don't want to do it, understand? I understand. Now say it. Please forgive me, Mr. Stone, but you're making me, isn't that right? You're making me say it. Well, say it and get it over with. I wish... I... I wish you were... I can't. I can't. I just can't. There's no use pretending I wasn't relieved. I felt both frightened and silly playing this little game. I just couldn't do it to you, Mr. Stone. I'm not angry. I- I've gotten to know you and like you. I- it's become so personal. I wouldn't want anything to happen to you. As he talked, his eyes became fixed on the building opposite the park. It was a tall building, and way up high, about the 18th story, there was a man up there washing windows. You see that up there? You see him? With the window washer? There's nothing personal about him, is there? Just a speck crawling on the side of a building washing windows. You're going to start that all over again. Well, there's nothing personal about that. That, that speck up there, is there? Now, look, you're not going to drive me, Batty. Well, if you'll only believe me, I'll, I'll try to show you. You mean with the window washer? He's pretty far away, and it's so impersonal, and, well, it... It may not work. Of course it won't work. That's what I've been trying to tell you. Well, I mean my not knowing him. Maybe I have to know the person or be real close. Maybe I have to have an argument with the person or or, or not like him. Yeah, yeah, like the pigeon. Oh, that was different. I actually looked into the pigeon's eyes and he looked at me. And that's when I said it. Oh, why don't you go home and go to bed? Read a good book. Forget about yourself. You're going? That's right. Oh, wait. I'll do it. I stood there watching him. He stared at the man on the 18th floor for a long time. 
As a man started to change his safety belt to move from one window ledge to the next, just as he took off one rope from the bolt in the window frame, Mr. Fettle started to whisper, I wish you were dead. It all happened in a split second. The moment he said it, the man on the window ledge lost his balance. First, the bucket came clattering to the ground. And then, the man hung suspended, dangling by one rope and clawing at the air to get back on the ledge. And then the rope broke. And the man fell to the ground. When it happened, I ran over to the building and got what few facts were available. The item appeared in a late edition, about ten lines on page eight. Naturally, I said nothing of the little old man on the park bench, or they would have thought I was as insane as I felt the little guy to be. But I couldn't get the amazing Mr. Fettle out of my mind. When I started to feel that I, in some weird manner, were indirectly responsible for the window washer's death, then I knew I was involved up to my neck. I went downstairs to the newspaper library. I found the item I was looking for... Arthur E. Brown, president of the Utilities Loan Association, had succumbed to a heart attack and was pronounced dead upon the arrival of his personal physician, George Watkins. The first thing next morning, I went to see Dr. Watkins. I'll be glad to give you whatever information you want, Mr. Stone, but I'm also rather curious as to your reasons. Well, in a very general way, I'm interested in certain types of death. Oh, coronary, heart fatalities? You might, uh, might call it that. What is it you wanted to know? Well, as I understand it, There was someone present in Mr. Brown's office at the time he died. I believe so, one of his employees. I'm wondering if this man could have in any way brought on the heart attack. It's possible. But that particular day, not at all probable. Why not? Mr. Brown had complained of a severe constriction across the chest. And his secretary had already called me before that man was in his office. In fact, I was on my way over to his office before he succumbed. Mr. Brown's secretary was in the first aid room getting him some medicine. You mean Brown was already dying before the man even got into the office? Mr. Brown was already dying of the effects of an extraordinary lunch. But the kind of heart condition he had, his death was just as inevitable as tomorrow's sunrise. It couldn't be any plainer than that. Coincidence number one had been taken care of quite neatly. But that window washer still had to be dealt with. For a man who'd been washing windows for so many years to slip off the windowsill and then for the rope to break right at the time my amazing Mr. Fettle wished he were dead. Well, that's a pretty touchy thing to reconcile the coincidence. I went back to the building and located the engineer who was in the basement replacing a steam valve on the hot water tank. At first, he wasn't very cooperative. I suppose you're another insurance man who wants to know more about why we don't have safety measures for our window washers. No, 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 no. I just happen to be a newspaper man who was sitting in the park when it happened. Well, if you saw it, you know more about it than I do. He worked for you, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. Well, what happened? Why should that man's rope break? I'm tired of answering questions. That's all I've been doing is asking questions. Well, look, uh, mister, I'm not here to make trouble for you. I don't want to give you any bad publicity. I want to know why it happened, but... Of course, if you don't want to tell me, then I've got to believe that the building was responsible. If I warned him once, I warned him a hundred times. His equipment was rotted through. I told him he couldn't go to work on my building unless he bought new ropes. He was pretty sore, but he went home. At least I thought he went home. What happened was he got lost in one of the bars on Clark Street, and when he was good and drunk, he came back. Without me knowing that he went to work. 
He was drunk, that's what he was. It was nobody's fault but his own. If it wasn't for the fact that somebody else had suffered, the whole thing would have been funny. It was the most ironic joke that coincidence could play. On a pathetic old man who thought he had some kind of strange power, and on me, a sucker for anybody's story if they insist they've got one. I got Mr. Fettle's address from Miss Johnson at the place he used to work and went over to see him. He lived in an old boarding house. His landlady was a nice old gray-haired woman that was as interested in knowing where he could be found as I was. He hasn't been home since yesterday. And that's not like him. Fifteen years he's lived here. And he never spent a night away from home. But does he have any relatives or friends that he could have gone to? Not a soul, sir. The loneliest man I ever knew. But the nicest. Why, he just wouldn't hurt a soul. Well, I've got to find him. Oh, but uh, uh, something's wrong, isn't there? No, no, oh, no, no. I, I've got a pretty important message for him, and it'll make things a lot easier on him when I tell him. I see. Uh, can't you tell me? No, no, it's, it's rather personal. Here's my number, though. You can reach me at the office. No matter what time he gets in, if you have any regard for him at all, please call me. I certainly will, sir. And nobody has better regard for him than I have. You know, he's been getting awful thin lately. Yes, you'd, you'd think a man wouldn't starve himself just because he was out of work. Now, would you, sir? Well, you call me. It'll be a lot different after I talk to him. <laughs> I went to the office by way of Bughouse Square. I inquired here and there about an old gent with the white hair and the strawberry-colored eyebrows. They knew who he was, all right, but they hadn't seen him. I was getting worried about him. A nice little guy somewhere in the city running away from himself, thinking he was a dangerous killer. When I got to the office, there were no messages. I put my feet on the desk and I waited. Then I started to do my column with coincidence playing the villain. I got halfway through, put my feet back on the desk, and dozed off. Two o'clock in the morning, the phone rang. Yeah. Mr. Stone? Mm -hmm, speaking. He just came in, just now. Who? Uh, Mr. Fetter. Oh, okay, okay, thank you. I'm coming right over. When I got to the house, she was waiting and had the door open before I could ring the bell. Is he in bed? No, Mr. Stone. He, he's sitting in his easy chair. His room upstairs? It's no use going up there, Mr. Stone. Well, what's wrong? Well, as soon as I called you, I put some soup on the stove. You see, I wanted him to have something hot to eat. I, I knocked on his door, but well, he, he didn't answer. I opened it, and he was sitting in the easy chair. Before I got to him, his eyes went up at the ceiling. Then they closed, and his head rolled on his chest. He was dead. I can't understand it. He, he wasn't sick. He was unhappy, but he wasn't sick. It doesn't make much difference now what he was. Poor soul. That's all that happened, just what you told me? He didn't, he didn't say anything? Well, he, he mumbled something, but it's not worth repeating. What? I want to know. Some sort of foolishness, Mr. Stone. Well, well tell me. I've, I've got to know. I'm sure I heard it wrong. 
Well, what was it that he said? Well, as his eyes were on the ceiling, it seemed to me... Now, sir, I can be wrong, you know, but it seemed to me that he said, I wish I was dead. Sitting on a park bench in the warm sun doesn't always lead to peace of mind. Not if you happen to be a harmless little guy who draws the ace of spades every time he makes a wish. Of course, we know that everything that happened was just coincidence. We all know things like this don't happen. You know, like the, uh, the flying saucer. <laughs> Copy, boy. <laughs> You are listening to Nightbeat on the Wheaties' Big Parade. It's always nice if you like your work, which is why we feel we're pretty lucky to be in the Wheaties' business. We love Wheaties, and we love people. We know that these little golden flakes of 100% whole wheat are good for people. So what could be more pleasant work than getting people and Wheaties together just as often as we can? Your grocer knows about Wheaties and people. See him, why don't you? Nightbeat, starring Frank Lovejoy, is produced and directed by Warren Lewis and edited by Larry Marcus. Tonight's story was written by David Peltz, with music by Frank Worth. The part of Mr. Fettle was played by Bill Johnstone. Others in tonight's cast were Joan Banks, Martha Wentworth, Parley Bear, Charles Seal, Stan Farrar, and Jeffrey Silver. Listen next week at this same time and every week as Randy Stone searches through the city for the strange stories waiting for him in the darkness. And this is your Wheaties man, Frank Martin, inviting you to listen also on Wednesday night to Brian Donlevy in Dangerous Assignment on the Wheaties Big Parade. See you then. Going to bake a pie sometime soon? Make it with Crust Quick, the Betty Crocker pie crust mix. You know, it's a tender, flaky crust that's at the bottom of every delicious pie, sure as you use Crust Quick. And so easy. Just add water to Crust Quick. Mmm, and what pie crust? Tender crust, tasty crust, rich, short, lovely crust, just like Betty Crocker makes. And you can make it. Just add water to Crust Quick. Crust Quick, the Betty Crocker pie crust mix. Nightbeat came to you from Hollywood with portions transcribed. Stay tuned for Christopher London over most NBC stations. This is Andrew from otrwesterns.com. I wanted to invite you to come take a look at our site where we put out podcasts of old-time radio westerns. Check us out at otrwesterns.com. You're listening to The Great Detectives of Old-Time Radio with Adam Graham. Now let's get back into the show.
Welcome back. Well, in an incredibly downbeat production to start the week off, it's a very well done, but also uh, a sad story. I did love the Wheaties uh, commercial. However, uh, when it asked you to put yourself in the place of a grain of wheat that was driven by its lifelong goal of being processed into wheaty cereal and compared it to uh, our potential ambitions to be president of the United States. That is one of the most uh, creative comparisons I'd heard, to say the least. All right, well, now we turn to listener comments and feedback. And uh, Gene asked regarding our elevator cap per episode, wasn't that one played in October? Are there many elevator caper episodes? Well, the ones we played back in October were the pilot. Episode 2109 was that which actually aired. And uh, we are now uh, done with that story as far as I know. Uh, it's sometimes interesting to hear different versions of the same story. And uh, yeah, I think that is the last we'll hear of that particular story. Uh, Michael says, uh, Frank Lovejoy, one of the most recognizable voices from the uh, radio era. Well, thanks so much for your comments. That will do it for today. Join us back here tomorrow for Inspector Thorne. Next Monday, another episode of Nightbeat. In the meantime, send your comments to uh, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.